In the past 10 years, we have seen a new wave of 80s fandom. Music, film, gaming, and fashion have all been influenced by the resurgence that has taken place. At the epicenter of the new wave and their love for Dungeons and Dragons. What started out as a campaign amongst four outcasts developed into adventure after adventure in a seemingly cursed town. Many more characters and storylines later, and it has become Netflix's juggernaut. It is guaranteed to get subscriptions, and it has the numbers to back it up. A three-year delay could not dull the excitement of the fervent Stranger Things fans. Season 4, Volume 1 dropped at the end of May of this year, and Volume 2 is coming out in just a few days. Before that happens, we are going to do a quick recap of Volume 1 and reflect on it, as well as discuss what we want to see and what we predict will happen. To quote the great Steve Harrington, Something's coming. Something hungry for blood. A shadow grows on the wall behind you, swallowing you in darkness. It is almost here. Hello all and welcome to I Can't Wait to Discuss Stranger Things as it's been one of my favorite shows since its release in 2016. I can't wait to see the finale of season 4. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's introduce the people you will be hearing today. Please welcome to the show Rich Meister, the editor-in-chief here at Sorechomp. Rich, how you doing today? Yes, I am. And that's great. And what will you be bringing to the table today? Opinions. And, and those are as valuable as a chicken in a ba- backpack. What? Those opinions are as valuable as a chicken in a backpack. Is that a saying? It's one now. I just made it up. I don't know what that means. I don't either. As you could tell, I was fumbling to get anything out of my mouth, and that's <laughs> really you want me to redo that. Let's take it from the top. That was. Yeah. I feel like you. Yeah, could I do probably better. could have done better. I, I didn't work really hard for that one. It's about nah, as useful as a shoe stuck in a well, crying for help. As a lateral move. <laughs> that was about as useful as a ladder getting. Stuck on a roof. Like I, that could be useful. Like if you're also stuck on the roof, or no, no, the ladder's like a... on the roof, but you're trying to get up on the roof. I would just use the stairs. <laughs> That's about as useful as a staircase drowning in the ocean. And what if, if like a crab needs to get upstairs? That's useful. That's about as useful as a crab sucking my dick. That would probably hurt. Crab, you see a crab's mouth. <laughs> All right, I'm done with this. How you doing? Uh, honestly, I'm pretty fucking tired, but I feel like we're here to do a thing, so I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get with it. Let's take that one from the top with a little bit more enthusiasm, sir. How you? I'm gonna get with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. That's the energy I need today. Now, are you excited to discuss uh season four, volume one of Stranger Things? <laughs> 
Yeah, man. It feels like it was forever ago, but it was like 45 minutes ago. Yeah, it was it was literally a minute ago. But yeah, it does feel like, like weirdly it feels like it happened so long ago. But I just watched it again uh for a second time with my girlfriend, so I'm, you know, refreshed and I'm ready to talk about this show, man. I'm excited. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. And then let's do you. And my name is Shay. I'm going to be your host today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for welcoming me. Um, I'm doing well, too, by the way. Feels good. I'm off for the next week uh, from my job. I'm on, like, a mini vacation. It feels great. Feels nice. Must be. I'm excited. I'm excited. But... Let's get to the meat of the show. Let's not waste any more time. While we will not be running through all of what happens in each episode, I'm hoping we are able to capture the essence of each one, leaving enough time for reflection. But it goes without saying that from this point forward, there will be spoilers. If you haven't seen the show, which I hope you have otherwise, why are you here? Why would you be here if you haven't seen it yet? But... If you haven't seen it yet, please hit pause and go watch it right now. You have nothing important to do. Oh, Once wait. you finish, <laughs> come on back and listen to our discussion. But now, turn the lights down low, slip into something more comfortable, grab some Eggo waffles, and sit by the fireplace as we tell you a most exquisite tale. Episode 1. We see a flashback of Dr. Brenner working with children possessing supernatural powers until something happens that kills all of the children except Eleven. Back in the present, eight months after the events from Season 3, we see the Byers and Eleven adjusting to their new lives in California. Eleven has lost her powers and is subjected to bullying on a daily basis. Joyce finds a hidden note in a gift notifying her that Hopper is still alive in Russia. Mike and Dustin have joined a D&D club led by Eddie Munson. Lucas has joined the basketball team. Max is struggling with the loss of her brother. Chrissy, a cheerleader, is hounded by visions throughout the episode. She goes to Eddie to purchase drugs in hopes to dull the visions. She is caught by a villain and attacked until her disfigured body no longer draws breath. So, Rich, it was clear from the end of Season 3 that the crew was going to be split apart, but further fracturing takes place as the friends drift even further from each other for various reasons throughout this first episode. So, talk to me about what it was like to see them grow apart in this first episode. Um... Yeah, I feel like you got to deal with those fracturing storylines, but they, they, they keep it contained in a way that isn't, like, I guess too confusing. But also, I feel like that's something you kind of got to acknowledge because I think that's just natural, like, growing up for kids that age. Like, there's this sort of... Uh, yeah, that sort of stagnation point where, like, interests differ and... Even beyond that, you know, the older you get, the busier you get, and people just kind of naturally uh, drift apart, even though things kind of come full circle, even in this the, the first half of this season, as far as that stuff goes. But that's just a normal thing that happens to kids, so I feel like it would be weird to not have that happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's pretty natural. Like, 
any of my friendships in my life kind of have like an ebb and flow. Like there are times where those relationships are really strong and times where they're, you know, not as strong. Um, they're, you know, you're not as present with your friends mentally or physically, but they're still your friends, but sometimes other priorities kind of take precedence. And I think that this show has done a really good job um, throughout the seasons of kind of doing that ebb and flow. I mean, you think about in season two where Will is having his issues and he kind of um, is fracturing a little bit from the group, but Mike sticks with him. Or in season three, how you start to see the fracture, uh, the fracturing of that relationship and the fracturing of Eleven and Mike or Lucas and Max. But it always kind of comes back together. But I think this is one on such a grander scale, obviously, as um, the crew, like half of the crew isn't even in Hawkins anymore. Yeah, so. yeah, that's a definitely. And especially like, I, I think it's harder maybe for, um, and I think we're probably the right age to kind of know what that was actually like to a degree. But people who are younger than us, like probably have a harder time understanding the sort of like fracturing that would happen in the eighties. Like if your friend lived across the country from you in the 1980s, they might, you might as well just like never be seeing them again. Right. Yeah. Communication I mean, like, is not the same. I think that the, that the season does a great job later on and you know, with their tongue in cheek joke about the internet, but um, internet was such like just starting to happen at the, uh, at the consumer level at that point, it was still pretty, um, high end. A household rare with a machine thing. that was connected to the internet was very uncommon. And also the state of the internet is not even comparable to what it is now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, state of home um, computing. Yes, exactly. But it's like to, to speak about like a little, just a little bit more. I do like that. We're, we're seeing this kind of fracturing of this core group that we've built up for the past three seasons because it makes for some really interesting storylines and pairings, which we're going to get to a little bit later. Um, I have a question directly related to that, but um, yeah, I, I really kind of, I, I like that because it allows for multiple storylines to happen and to see where they kind of converge or where they diverge. Nothing. I think it's really fascinating. Nothing pleases me more than um, when a show uh, manages to tell a really interesting story with, like, unusual character pairings. Like, they kind of shake the dynamic of what uh, what the show has been up until that point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's a—yeah, we're going to get into that exact question a little bit later. So I let's, let's uh, press forward with that because clearly we're both excited to discuss some of that don't tell me how i feel okay i'm sorry eh, it's all right you're kind of right <laughs> episode two hopper is alive and in a russian prison camp joyce and murray reunite and call the number on the hidden note they are told to go to alaska to deliver forty thousand dollars for the rescuing of hopper Mike goes to Cali to visit Eleven. Mike and Will see Eleven bullied again by a classmate in a roller rink. She retaliates. The police look for Eddie for the death of Chrissy. Max informs the group that she saw him run away. With Dustin, 
Robin, and Steve, they locate Eddie. Through D&D knowledge, they name the villain Vecna. Nancy and fellow classmate Fred... Sorry. Nancy and fellow classmate Fred investigate Chrissy's disappearance. Eddie's uncle tells Nancy that the murderer is Victor Creel, a well-known murderer from the 1950s. Fred is lured into the woods by visions, and Vecna kills him. A lot has gone into the unexpected pairings in Season 4, but not enough credit has been given to the brilliant re-pairing of Joyce and Murray. Do you think that is a great power pair in the show, Rich, or do you feel like there are stronger ones that you enjoyed more? I... I think the Joyce and Murray little uh, calling it a side adventure is unjust, but like their their plot is super interesting because the dynamics of those characters could not be more different. Like they mm. they could not be further apart. Um, and just even again, this is the Duffer Brothers like weird writing and having like very few things be completely inconsequential. Like up to the point of like Murray talking about his karate class is relevant. Yes. Uh, but yeah, they just, they, they play off each other very well. And, uh, Murray is basically a cartoon character, but I love every second of it. Hmm. I, you know, it's really fascinating to consider their relationship or their dynamic, especially when you consider how Murray first started out. He was this really, like, he was this hermit who was very standoffish due to constant conspiracy theories. Um, which turned out that the one he believed in was right. And as a result of that, he became a little bit less curmudgeon and that still fairly curmudgeon But then when um, Hopper and Joyce popped up at his doorstep, after being a little bit more curmudgeon he toned down and he ends up becoming a really cool character, especially midway through season three of the... Uh, carnival episode he became a really cool character and um now it's like that curmudgeon attitude is mostly gone he makes and a hell of a risotto al- too <laughs> and he's almost a completely different character at this point like he still carries some of who he was but it's clear that this show does a really good job of showing when something happens to these characters they change every time every season yeah he's still kind of a whacked conspiracy theorist but he's like more outgoing than he was like he's he's making more of an effort to be a a part of society and um i think he's more grounded in a way too yeah yeah he feels more like a real person that would exist in the world but like you know him casually having like friends quote-unquote at this point would be like him just spewing his conspiracy nonsense to them like it is fact and them just taking it as fact because he's been right before right yeah exactly i think that the the pairing of joyce is brilliant as well because of the fact that joyce always has a mission and she's always going to succeed in whatever it is she's trying to do. I mean, from season one to now, she's always driven and she will always get the job done. And she seems to be this this powerhouse that just pulls pulls characters along with her to not only assist her, but to become better than they are. You know, she becomes kind of a a tough love 
cheerleader for them in some ways. And when we see this pairing of her and Murray, Murray has kind of a cause at this point. I, I mean, um, I also think her and Murray work well together because um, Joyce at this point in the series, and by the, at this point I mean like a post-season one Joyce, is someone who understands when everyone is looking at you like you're fucking insane. Right. Um, and that's kind of Murray's entire existence before getting involved with everyone else. Yeah, that's actually a good point that I hadn't even considered. Right. That is a great point. I, yeah, I love the pairing of them. Um, there's been a lot of talk also of the pairing of Robin and Nancy, which happens in this. That was the other one. Yeah, I, I, that was the other one I would want to bring up. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that for a little bit. What, what do you think about that pairing? Uh, I mean, like, the reluctance in, like, Nancy at first makes sense, and I think they do a, a better job than one might have expected to be, like, they, they sort of play up Robin's, like, lack of social skills in the sense of, like, hey, I'm never gonna shut up, so if I'm annoying you, you need to tell me to, like, fucking stop. Um, yeah, her, her her social decorum has a little bit. Is a little lacking, yeah. Yeah. But you kind of see her use that, like charming aesthetic that Maya Hawk puts into the character to sort of kind of break down that boundary. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I really I really enjoyed their pairing as well. I like that they are these two really different characters, but they're able to kind of meet in the middle in some ways. And I think it goes some ways for um not representation per se, but more of kind of uh showing good examples of how friendships can build with people that you don't seem to agree with. There are these, these women in the show and I generally, the show has done a decent job of that. I mean, you look at season three between um, Max and 11, they build a pretty good foundational friendship there. Um, We can't really see that in season four because they're in different places. So you kind of need that again because you need a good example and representation of that on screen. And I think that they, they, the Duffer brothers do a good job of writing those two characters together and showing like they are very diametrically opposed in their personalities, but they can connect in some ways and they can learn to not only live with each other, but befriend each other. I also think another really good like character relationship that kind of takes its next evolution from the previous season and this one is uh one of the like most gone to pairings which is uh Steve and Robin and I think that one is important because I feel like even 20 years ago they would have played up that character dynamic of like you know Robin comes out to Steve and rejects him obviously but he's still like tripping over her or something but instead they do the thing that I think is the most real world at least if the both people involved are sensible and is right which is their relationship evolves naturally, which is she comes out to him and then he just like, okay. And they're just like bros now. Like in a, like their friendship is, seems completely legitimate and like, and natural. And I don't think even 20 years ago, you would have seen a a relationship like that play out on screen. Um, in, in a way that they're both so comfortable with each other. And, you know, onto Steve and Dustin probably being the other pairing that are like the most like you know intertwined like this. Um, it just works. I'd agree. Um, I really like the Steve and Robin pairing because they always 
like in this season they do a really good job of just ribbing each other and showing that their friendship has evolved like she's like i i can't keep up with which girl you're going out with steve and um steve is like encouraging her to hit on the girl she likes now which is a part of her band club and then i like that call back to um the girl they were talking about in season three she ends up coming back to the school to sing the anthem and they make fun of her singing and robin's like oh that is true yeah and i like that yeah she's like you just thought she was good because you were attracted to her but right that call back to that dynamic is brilliant i love that and that's such that's a good quality that the duffer brothers have is being able to recall small details from past seasons and make them feel like make the audience remember them and feel it makes the world feel lived in and also i think it goes a long way to like legitimate like the banter between steve and robin feels like genuine conversations like friends would have exactly nothing about it feels fabricated yeah i didn't like steve and dustin's pairing as much this season i felt like they're constantly antagonizing each other and there were not enough heartfelt moments between them. But I think that's because, you know, season two and season three, we saw so much of that. that maybe... well, I think they're trying to strain it a little bit. And also you get those sort of, I, I think they're trying to properly kind of come back around that is like, Steve's like pulling back a little bit and being like, Oh, this kid's always up my ass. And then you, you kind of get those lines from Eddie, like talking to him. He's like, you know, that kid like fucking worships the ground you walk on. Yeah. 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 And I I have a theory about that, but we'll talk about that on the back end of the show because yeah, that's I think that that exact point we're talking about there there's more relevance to that than at first glance. So mm-hmm. we'll come back to that. Let's head o- head up into episode three. Eleven is arrested for assaulting her classmate, but is rescued by Sam Owens. He explains that Hawkins is yet again in grave danger he has been working on a program to return eleven's powers to her eleven agrees to join him joyce and murray fly to alaska to rescue hopper hopper bribes an inmate to break his bones in his feet so he can slide his shackles off nancy and robin go to the library to find information on victor creel they discover that creel blamed the murders on a demon which they predict is Vecna. Jason, Chrissy's boyfriend and leader of the basketball team, hunts down Eddie with his team, but Lucas abandons them. Max remembers that Chrissy visited the school counselor. She steals Chrissy's and Fred's files from the school to learn that they also suffered from PTSD symptoms. The episode ends with her seeing visions from Vecna. So, Rich, while this episode doesn't have a lot of action, it works to set up many of the plot points to come in the next few episodes. Yeah. Do you think that this episode was effective at moving the plot along while also being engaging? I think so, because it's it's mostly, and you need these sort of set-dressing episodes, it's like laying breadcrumbs. Um, and it does a really good job of that in setting tone. Uh, also worth shouting out in this episode, because hell of a performance and hell of a get- um, playing Victor Creel, one Robert England, mm, uh, yes. the original Freddy Krueger. Yes, 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 yes. I, uh, from what I've read and seen, like basically, he said that he wanted to be involved in some way, and the Duffer Brothers were like, "Yeah, let's get you in." Like, here. yeah, you know, when you're making something that is like this big and an homage to like '80s flicks and like 
prevalent 80s horror like you you don't not put robert england in your movie if he wants it yeah yeah you got to get somebody involved in there but i i do like the the maybe that should have been a question i should have wrote that but that's okay we can do that in like because i'm sure we'll talk about the show again in the future but I, well, I really if we're doing like, this we got to come back uh and do another one when we finish it right yeah i think so i think so yeah i like when the show pays homage to the various 80s movies and then you can clearly see when that happens but um back to the main question i do think this that this episode really moves along at a quick pace um even that diner sequence where sam owens is talking with 11 about like her friends are in danger um the world is reliant yet again on 11 it's a very intense sequence for them just sitting there talking at the diner. And that's because of the way the music swells and the, the shots that they're taking and the constant cuts back and forth between them as they're discussing it. Even that is intense. And, um, they set up a lot of stakes in this episode, which they do. They do. I, I, and meanwhile, like some of the lesser, I don't know. I I wouldn't say the, the lesser, the less, intense moments are happening too like when joyce and murray fly to alaska not a lot is really happening there they're just it's some uh comedic relief as they're on the airplane they need to take Uh, their time and uh get them where they need to go yeah and i think this episode does a good job of showcasing what this show has always done really well which is when you have those intense moments put a group of characters in kind of a more light-hearted sequence while moving the story forward so you know like i said joyce and murray flying to alaska moving the sword for story forward while also some comedic relief and then that is um followed up by hopper getting his fucking bones broken with a sledgehammer in order to try and get his shackles off and then which also very intense yes and then the next sequence of events is nancy and robin going to the library which there is a lot of comedic relief in that part, but then that's eventually, um, I wouldn't say overshadowed, but um, followed by them actually finding some legitimate information on Victor Creel. And so they decide to follow that breadcrumb. And it's like they go back and forth with each storyline being able to balance the humor and comedy while also moving the story forward. And I think that's what is such a big part of making the story feel like it's constantly moving forward at a good and reasonable speed. It's not too fast, not too slow. It feels like it's in that Goldilocks um, area of being just right can for I, me. Can I ask you a question, Shay, while we're on the subject? Because I just I don't know why I, I feel like I'd want to ask you this in particular. Yeah. Um, Robin and Nancy uh, go to the library archives in this episode. Yes. Have you ever been down to like a library archive before? No. It is I... a fucking delight. I like thrive down there, my man. Like doing that research, you get those machines up to pull up like old paper clippings and stuff. It is, uh, I, it's been a very long, not since college have I like been down to one of those, but it is, it's something. <laughs> That's cool. I'd love to see that, you know, like I, it's like something you've seen in movies in the past and they've, I wouldn't say it's a trope per se, but it's something that happens sometimes when they, but they are things that exist Ask your local library. They're worth taking a peek at. Yeah. I would love to do that. I th- I think that'd be a lot of fun, but um, no, I've never done that. That's cool. Maybe when, next time I go back to the U S I'll try and do that. I'll help you solve a murder or something. 
Yeah. Or find out that uh, somebody has been sleeping with somebody in the town pol- political spectrum. I don't know. I got nothing. Yeah. I'm off my game today. I have yeah, nothing man, for comedic on. value to Get offer it this together. episode. It's only Tuesday. It's Wednesday for me, buddy. I don't think so. I think I'm lying, Grandpa. Anyways, let's move on to episode four. Grampy. Joyce and Murray meet with Yuri, who will help them rescue Hopper. But instead, he drugs and betrays them for more money. Hopper escapes the prison camp, but he is recaptured in Yuri's hideout in a town next to the prison camp. The guard who helped him, Enzo, is also captured. Jonathan, Mike, and Will are captured by Owens' agents to protect them. They plan to escape, but the house is attacked and raided by armed soldiers. They call Jonathan's stoner friend Argyle, who rescues them and one of the agents. Nancy and Robin talk with an imprisoned Victor Creel, who recounts what happened with his family. He cites supernatural forces. Max, fearing that her time is near, writes letters to family and friends. She goes to the cemetery with Dustin, Lucas, and Steve. She reads the letter to Billy's grave. However, during that time, she is possessed by Vecna and finds his residence in the Upside Down. Nancy informs Dustin, Lucas, and Steve that playing a person's favorite song can break Vecna's spell. They play Max's cassette of Running Up That Hill by Kate Bush. It opens a portal for Max, and she escapes back to the graveyard. So I have two questions about this episode, Rich. I actually had a lot more, but I figured I'd whittle it down to two. Sure. The first one is that action sequence in the house with the agents was incredibly awesome, and I did not expect it. What did you think about it? Uh, yeah, no, it's a really good sequence, and I think it just goes to show you how much, um, I almost feel like every season, maybe this one's a little bit more, uh, kind of all over the place, the Duffer Brothers, like, kind of pay homage to all the different, like, films of the 80s, and this is, like, definitely the most, like, conspiracy action thriller, um, type of, you know, thing they've ever done, and it's really well shot, and, like, the proper amount of, like, action-y, but also funny, um, like there's like a certain levity to like the course of frenzy around it, but I think it's really well done. Mm. Yeah, I, I was incredibly impressed with that sequence because it's all, um, what is that? One track shot? Is that what yeah, those are called? Yes. Yeah, it's all one track shot. So the, I'm always amazed when movies or tv shows do it because of the the choreography that has to happen it looks great but it's a lot of work to pull off yeah absolutely and there might be it might be filmed to look that way there might be some sneaky cutaways and sequences there to make that easier i'm sure it's entirely possible i don't it's very hard to do that as a oneer um but a lot of people go through the trouble of it because they want to be able to say like yeah that that whole sequence is a oneer like that is one solid shot which if it is fucking good even it's not good on them because they did a great fucking job with it absolutely i mean it keeps that that frenetic pace in that moment so well earned and another thing i want to point out and this is such a minor thing i'm one of those assholes who notices it when the agent is shooting 
the various armed forces that are breaking in, he's constantly reloading his gun. And his clip is a reasonable amount. You know, like usually in ac- action sequences, the person's firing like 20 rounds yeah, on a nine-round yeah. clip before of, of reloading. Make no fucking but, sense. But in this, in this sequence, he reloads his gun twice. And it was really cool to see that kind of uh, continuity. As a and, gamer TM, I know, uh, you know, it's pretty important to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it was cool to see that. Um, I just think that, that there was so much love and attention to detail in just that one sequence. And obviously, it's the whole show is rife with those details. But I just, I loved that sequence because they've never done anything quite like that um in the entire show i mean they've had moments of um huge action i mean you think back to season one when the demogorgon starts raiding uh the lab you know the hawkins lab back in season one or um in season two when they're kind of doing the uh metal gear solid sneaking away from the demo dogs you know they, they've had this snake <laughs> 11 11 <laughs> No, but they, they've done those action sequences or those, like, um, not subterfuge. What's the word I'm looking for, Rich? Espionage. Espionage, there you go. Espionage sequences. But this one was just pure, brutal, adrenaline-filled action. Like, and yeah, action shootout. Is great. I loved it. It's real good. Um, the second question I have, and I think this this one is going to warrant more conversation... Was that scene with Max fleeing Vecna's lair in the Upside Down the best scene of the entire show to date? <sighs> Damn, I don't know. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Thing is, like, God, it's been so long since I watched the rest of it that to even, like, get you something that compares. Um, hmm. It's like a fucking edge-of-your-seat moment type thing that, like, it's one of those things that you know would be a stinger that would leave you hanging if we still lived in the era of week-to-week television yeah that's a good point that's a good point i like the part where she's running and then the music stops and it fades to black to be fair though we kind of get one of those at the end of this part of the season they gotta do do that yeah we do for sure but like when she's running and it fades to black i was like no way they're gonna end with that that would have been a brilliant ending but then they pause for a few seconds and then she makes it out i actually really like that she makes it out at the end of the the episode because it it showcases, you know, what the show is all about, supporting each other through friendship and through adversity. I mean, so you're saying are... it's anime? It's it's anime. I love anime. I love anime. <laughs> but I like, yeah, you're right. That it's just, I w- I found myself so nervous during that sequence. I even noticed myself like tensing up, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm really nervous for this. I'm loving this." And I had chills when Kate Bush is running up that hill is playing. Shay, can I ask you a question? Because I thought you were gonna put it here, and I can't believe you didn't. What's that? If you were uh, being attacked by Vecna, what song would pull you out of the Upside Down? I didn't even think about that. That's a great question. Uh, My Curse by Kill Switch Engage. Okay, that's a banger. <laughs> that's my favorite song of all time. I was gonna make a fucking joke, which is go, which for me, <laughs> it would be break stuff by Limp Biscuit because I'd be like, I need to turn this shit off. <laughs> like, I need to find my way out so I can turn this shit off. Stop that! You stop that. 
<laughs> no, that's um, that's a great question. Though. I was very shocked. I really did expect you to ask that question. I didn't think about it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm glad, glad you asked it. No, 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 I'm glad I brought it up. Then I'm glad. I'm glad I brought it up. Hell yeah. But no, I mean, like I think about to some of the think back to some of the more poignant scenes from past seasons, like when Eleven is closing the gate at the end of season two. How intense that sequence is, or when Will is standing up to um, the Mind Flayer in season two in that field by the school because Bob told him to, and they're cutting away to what Bob is telling him. Another great sequence, or um, you know, like there's so many good um, moments in this show. I think I need to. I think I've earned like an. I need to rewatch the early seasons. You do. They're really great. They're really great. Um, there, there are so many good sequences. I just it's so recently... hard to find time. There, there's so much good television nowadays. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But I definitely think that this scene with Max and Vecna is top three, if not top one. Oh, it's definitely up there. It's definitely in the conversation. Yeah. And I'm not willing to commit because I'm a coward, but it's up there. What's even cooler is there's an actual behind the scenes video that Netflix just dropped on YouTube talking about how they made and filmed that exact sequence and most of it is actually practical effects i was really surprised to see that i think um and it was funny the 80s were 100 percent of time for this too but it was probably more it, it, well, it was definitely more due to like te- technological constraints mm. um practical is better like I, I fully believe that but i think a lot of filmmakers have really come around on that in the past decade or so mostly in the sense of like go practical when you can because it holds up better so why Jurassic Park is still one of the best-looking films to date. It's true. I went to see the new Jurassic World over the weekend, and I thought it was pretty boring. That's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. But I thought um, the part at the end where Chris Pratt came on and explained that the world is only 6,000 years old and that dinosaurs didn't really happen was weird. Huh. I'll have to ask you about that off the air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go on to the next episode. Episode 5. Owens and Eleven go to an abandoned ICBM silo in Nevada where he and Dr. Brenner have developed a specialized isolation tank dubbed Nina that allows Eleven to access memories of her time with the other children at the Hawkins lab. Eleven tries to escape and briefly regains her powers in the process, convincing her to continue with the experiment with Dr. Brenner. In California, Agent Harmon dies before giving the boys a phone number for the Nina project that connects to a modem. Mike decides to enlist the aid of Dustin's girlfriend, Susie, in Salt Lake in Salt in Salt Lake in Salt Lake City. Mike decides to enlist the aid of Dustin's girlfriend, Susie, in Salt Lake City. Hopper is imprisoned alongside Enzo while flying to Russia. Joyce and Murray subdue Yuri and crash land in the wilderness. Max, Lucas, Steve, and Dustin regroup with Nancy and Robin and decide to investigate the Creel house. Inside, they encounter flickering lights, which they trace to Vecna's movements in the Upside Down. Jason and his fellow players locate Eddie trying to escape in a boat at the Lover's Lake, and Jason and his teammate Patrick swim after him. Vecna kills Patrick in front of Jason and Eddie, causing the lights at the Creel house to burst. So, what did you think about the reveal of Dr. Brenner still being alive, Rich? Um, 
I think I was like kind of surprised by it at first. Um, but I think they kind of needed to have like this good cop, bad cop dynamic with the doctors. Um, and also that confrontation kind of needs to come to a head with, uh, 11 sort of coming to terms with, I guess the circumstances of, you know, her, her upbringing and eventually i guess kind of getting some light in towards if maybe brother's not a complete shithead he's definitely not a good guy but you know well-meaning asshole yeah i think the show does a job a decent job of trying to set that up and i also think it speaks more to the fact that these characters evolve and our opinions of them change as the dyna- their dynamic um, in the story and who they are evolve as well. And you also, know, we, and people are layered. No one's just like, um, like at least you'd like to believe, no one's just like a malevolent asshole. Like, even people who go on to do terrible, terrible, awful things, like, think they're starting from a good place, at least at some point. Right, exactly. And sometimes I think that it's easier for us to just be like, oh, this guy's a piece of shit, or oh, this woman's a fucking rude jerk or something and with the like information that. we're given at first that's what you can glean but then right. you know you pull back that curtain slowly mm, exactly exactly did you know yeah. um shay the uh the lab that the original hawkins lab is based off of do you know i, I live like 45 minutes from there that's dope have you the, been there i've i mean i've passed the building that was once montauk labs yeah oh it's not there anymore uh i think i think the facade might still be there if for anyone who grew up in the new york area they know montauk is a place you get drunk on a bus on your way to after you graduate high school um but there's a lab out there and that is uh what the hawkins lab is based off of off of experiments that allegedly happened there okay that's cool i didn't know that um but in terms of dr brenner I was pretty sure he was going to come back, like, as early as season two. I guess I just hadn't been thinking about him in a while. You know what I mean? Like, and we had the new doctor sort of, like, override. And I'm like, I like this guy. I like Paul Reiser doing anything. Yeah, that's true. But, like, I think when, I think it's solidified for me when in um, season three, at the end of season three, when we see Owens, Owens come back you know, to mm-hmm. deal with the mall because you think he dies in season two as he helps, um, the, the crew escape from, from that lab, from the demo dogs. Unfortunately, Bob doesn't make it out, but the rest of the crew make it out that you assume he's dead, but then he comes back at the end of season three. I was like, Oh, they're definitely bringing Brenner back. 100%. Well, it's kind of like if he's, if he's alive, then who's to say? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I still like, I like the twist, the way they revealed it was very villain, villain-esque in a way, because like Owens brings her in and he seems kind of like the sidekick henchman in some ways in that moment. And then Brenner's like 11 and then starts to walk down he the stairs. He might as well have like swiveled around in a chair petting a cat. Yes. <laughs> yes. Talking about millions and millions of dollars. Yes. One billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. No, Billions I, I more really than a million, liked, you moron. 
I loved the that that moment of the reveal, even though you know it's coming. Um, I still loved it. Yeah. So. No, absolutely. Sorry, am I boring you? No, I apologize. I'm very I'm a sleepy little boy. I'm just kidding. I don't care. If I'm boring you, that's what I mean. I was no more than usual. Hmm. Thanks. Burn. Thanks. Thanks. Got him. All right. Season. Oh, season. Episode six. Season nineteen. <laughs> season fucking sixty nine. Episode six. Eleven relives. <gasps> Eleven relives memories of befriending a lab orderly who warns her not to trust Brenner. She also recalls being bullied by the other test subjects, leading her to believe she was responsible for the lab massacre. Susie helps Mike's group locate the Nina Project's coordinates and joins them in their quest to find it. Hopper and the other inmates are given a large feast, which Hopper warns is to prepare them to be fed to the Demogorgon. He later manages to pickpocket a lighter, recalling that the Demogorgon's weakness is fire. Joyce and Murray force Yuri to take them to a nearby town where he stores his goods and decides to have Murray pose as Yuri to get into the prison. Jason galvanizes Hawkins' residence at a town hall meeting, claiming it was Eddie's satanic cult group. Steve's group finds Eddie... Steve's group finds Eddie, and Dustin notices his compass misbehaving realizing that there must be a new gate to the Upside Down nearby. They trace the gate to Lover's Lake, where Steve dives down to inspect it, before suddenly being yanked into the Upside Down by a tendril. He is swarmed by bat-like creatures. Nancy, Robin, and Eddie all dive down after him. I think that this episode is a great example of how the show continues to expand its ever-growing cast of lovable characters, while giving them all screen time. So, Rich, what is one character you really enjoyed on the screen this season? Um, I think uh, Eddie is probably one of my favorite additions as a character. Um, because I think we all kind of, like, knew a person like that, and sometimes they're less charming in real life, but I think Eddie strikes a nice balance of, like, that kid who kind of has what are you know quote-unquote like niche weird hobbies who just sort of like acts out a little bit and like kind of for lack of a better term because i think this is just trying to kind of being myopic with it but there are a lot of people who behave this way who like act off the wall to sort of push people away before they have a chance to reject them Mm. um and Sometimes those people are charming. Sometimes it's grating, but I think Eddie uh, strikes a good balance of that and ends up feeling like a nice, natural, real addition to the group. Yeah. Yeah, I he's... I probably didn't enjoy him as much as you did as a character. Not that he's bad, but um, he's he's an enjoyable character, and I think he'll come around for me in Volume 2, for sure, because like when Max was first introduced to the group, I was like, eh whatever but the more i got time with her the more i was like man i really like her and obviously this season showcases how integral she is to the story in a lot of ways but um 
one of the characters I really enjoyed this season was Murray. I um I just really if if I didn't talk about it enough, I just really have loved his evolution as a character and how he has really developed and felt essential to this journey. Um I, I, I think Murray's con- proved his worth outside of what could have been a one-off role. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like there there there's a lot of value in that. And it in a lot of ways I think that this show does a good job of mirroring Dungeons and Dragons when they assemble these groups. Like everybody has a very specific role to play. And Murray has very much felt like a special specialized character in some ways because you know comes out that he knows karate and um he's also you know fluent with russian so he has his role to play in the story and i think that um the role he plays is fantastic he he does a really good job of balancing the serious with the humor and most of the time his humor shines through and i it's it's a great it's a great um he has a great presence in the show that i very much appreciate so but on the flip side of that rich what is one character you wish got more screen time Hmm. Hmm. um i'm gonna use this as a blanket statement and uh just say like outside of 11 the rest of the california crew uh i feel like they're spinning their wheels a lot this season like one or two majorly interesting plot points for them but mm. by the time we reach the end of the run here i feel like there's not a whole lot has been happening for them yeah yeah i mean like you will did, in like, particular will in particular well they're setting up will for a, a yes. big reveal which we're all we all know is coming in volume two um which is he i think he's gonna come out to mike i mean it's pretty obvious at this point. Yeah. But um that that is another thing that has been underlying since will, season two. If I if I because I think it's almost too on the nose, and I I kind of want to get your read on this to see if you you're where I'm at with it. I almost think, and this is coming as like a straight white man, so maybe my opinion doesn't mean for shit. I think it would almost be more interesting if Will was just like asexual. Because he shows like an almost general disinterest and he seems very confused about his identity. And I think like it could be an interesting point of representation to him to be like, I'm just not interested in that stuff. What if he comes out as not asexual, but trans? Um, I mean, that could be interesting, but I also think something set in the 80s, like they wouldn't even have a proper term for that. I don't even know how he would express it, to be quite honest with you. I don't think it's... I, I trust it, though. I mean, they managed to pull off the Robin reveal really well. Yeah, but that's also why I don't think uh, Will will, like, even address it that he's gay, because, like, I think they did a good job with Robin as a character, and, like, it just feels like you're repeating a plot beat. Um i don't know i think i think this one would be more earned though it's been building up since season two um he's had the the drawing that he's been carrying with him throughout the whole season part of me also thinks like they they might leave it more ambiguous than that and i don't think there's anything wrong with that to just be like he probably is maybe he like interpret it how you want to interpret it because like also at that age maybe he doesn't maybe and some people know right away where they stand when it comes to their sexuality some people figure it out much later like he is 
easily still young enough to be like i don't really know what i want or how like i'm feeling these things that i don't quite get and maybe he can't find a comfortable way to express that i don't know i don't know what the resolution is because i I don't know what the smart way to do that is i think he's gonna come out and have um sexual feelings for the mind flayer i don't think that'll happen never say never rich but no, uh, one of the question or one of the characters that I wish got more screen time was uh, Karen Wheeler, because in season three, we got to see her a lot more. We got to see her really, um, you know, show her acting chops. Uh, Cara Buono, that's the mm-hmm. actress's name. Mm-hmm. We got to see her and be a little bit more integral into the story, and she has next to no parts in this sh- in this fourth season, and it's it makes sense. I mean, everybody's kind of flown the coop and. The father um, I like of Mike the- and Nancy make that joke, you know, like nobody's ever here, stuff like that. But which I think I is supposed looked- to be a callback to like earlier in this show when he'd be like, "Everyone's always here." Yeah. Um, like I also, God, let's get more of uh, Mike and Nancy's dad because give me more of a like an atypical suburban white like father to be like, "Now everybody, just hold your horses." <laughs> I think. Excuse me. He, they get we get a really good dose of that when um I believe it's actually in this episode where um they're all trying to figure out No, it is in the 7th episode, excuse me, when they're trying to figure out what's happening with Vecna, where where all the pieces kind of come together and they're all stuck in uh the Wheeler's house. We do get to get a pretty pretty good dose of that and we even get some screen time with uh Hopper's um fellow cops which i thought was pretty interesting yes. you know yeah they we they got some even, of them in the past seasons yeah they even get a bigger role but yeah i would have loved to see karen wheeler um my my it's either her or um uh erica sinclair i felt like she had a more diminished role this season compared to last season um in some ways sure in some ways it felt like her character like had a lot more development and a lot more going on in season three. And this one, she had some of that, but she was always like playing sidekick. Like they brought her in for the D and D game in episode one, um, which she had a shining moment then. And then the rest of it was just been like, I feel like she's ramping back up to her involvement though, uh, towards the end of it. Like it kind of takes them a while to get her quote unquote into place to really be a part of everything. Mm. Um, and True. I think that could pay off really well in the back half, but who knows? True. Good point. Good point. Because again, she's okay. another she's another tremendous talent. Like she steals scenes when she is on screen. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we're getting to the final episode. Uh, we're actually moving along at the pace I was hoping we would move along. So um, let's do the final episode. Okay. Episode seven. Joyce, Murray, and Yuri enter the Russian prison camp and witness Hopper and his fellow prisoners fighting the Demogorgon. Hopper holds the creature back with a flaming spear while Murray and Joyce subdue the guards and open the prison doors, allowing Hopper and Enzo to escape. Wow. (laughs) Joyce and Hopper reunite. Dustin, Lucas, and Erica theorize that Vecna has spawned a gate at the site of each murder, which they communicate to Steve's group in the Upside Down. Both parties reunite inside Eddie's trailer at the gate where Chrissy died. Robin and Eddie safely exit, but Vecna 
possesses Nancy. She discovers that he is Victor Creel's son, Henry, who killed his mother and sister with his psychokinetic powers before falling into a coma and being placed in Brenner's care. Henry became subject 1, or 001, in Brenner's attempts to replicate his powers and later the orderly that Eleven befriended. Eleven finally remembers Henry committing the lab massacre and trying to kill her when she refused to help fulfill his murderous ambitions. Eleven overpowered Henry and sent him to the Upside Down, where he became Vecna. So, Rich, talk to me a bit about the twist of Henry Creel becoming Subject 001, becoming Vecna. What did you think about this twist? I really liked it, and I'm going to tell you this. I clocked, like, a part of this, like, two episodes out when I was just, like, thinking about it and being like, oh, this is how it's going to go. And what I mean by I clocked a part of it is the first time you see, like, that flashback with the family, um, with the Creels, I was like, it's that fucking weird little kid. Uh, like, he's the problem. <laughs> and I clocked that. I Like, my theory was that he was going to end up being, like, one of the first, like, proto-subjects of the whole Eleven thing. What I didn't clock was that he was, like, the orderly. Like, I wasn't putting that together. That's exactly what happened to me. Like, verbatim. That is exactly what happened to me. I was like, all right, he did, like, that boy did something. Um, I didn't realize he was going to be test subject one to become Vecna. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I, I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant um, execution in the writing to leave you some of what you could predict, but not all of it. I mean, I thought, uh, when I say like I, writing. I thought he would be like a proto test subject is like part of my theory was going to be that like in the hubbub to get everything under control, they had to put the father in prison as a cover up because they couldn't explain it. But that like they were able to sort of deduce that something was up with the kid and those events are kind of what spawned the launch of that program where they were looking for these psychic kids. I didn't Mm. think he was going to still be alive and that it was, um, the, the, the kid who was the, the orderly with 11 the entire time. Yeah. I, I think that was a great reveal. Um, another thing that I didn't really, really detail in the, um summary here is that when they're in the upside down nancy and steve and robin and um new character's name i forgot his name already uh eddie eddie um eddie munson that they discover in the upside down that the moment that um that the the Sorry, version I'm trying, to... I'm trying to, I think I have a good way to like lay out because I think I know what you're saying. The representation of Hawkins that exists in the Upside Down is from the day that Will was pulled in. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes, in that's exactly one. what I was trying to say. And I'm curious as to if they go into further explanation of that, why that's taking place, or they're just going to be like, "This is what it is. Let's just leave it at that." Let's not. I, I think they're going to have. Well, I mean that. I mean, it could be as simple as wouldn't that would be the same day that Eleven tore in and sort of launched him into the Upside Down? Would it not? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah. she whether it's a place that already existed or not, she created a tangible connection between that place and Hawkins on that day. Hmm. Right. Exactly. Um. I'm. I'm. Yeah. 
I th- I think it'd be interesting if they go a little bit more into that. But then again, it's that's like you know the creationism of the upside down. And whoa, you want to talk how... about creationism? I didn't know Chris Pratt was here. Dear God in heaven, sick. That's two Chris Pratt burns. Got him. Can't handle the third one. No. So pre- presumably, Rich, as I was thinking about this last episode. I didn't realize it until I was writing it. Presumably, there's a new gate at the highway where Fred died. So why has no one in the town noticed that yet? Yeah, they're all busy. They got a lot of shit going on. <clears throat> I thought so. I thought so. Um, uh, it's hidden in a solar eclipse. I don't know. Maybe that will be addressed. I would hope so. I mean, the, the show has a really good penchant for being um, on with the continuity. So yeah, the Dever brothers are very on on top of that sort of stuff. So I I uh I don't doubt like some of the imagery. I I can't say this for sure. I, I saw people saying online, and I I didn't. I plan to go back at some point, so I haven't. So I can't necessarily say if this is true. Maybe you might know. Is it hmm. true that that like grandfather clock imagery has been appearing since season one? I don't know. I haven't seen that. I'm gonna have to go look. Into I haven't that really looked into it. So I I. I more than one person has told me that, but I took no steps to verify that. I wouldn't be surprised because I think that there are some grandfather clock moments in the Wheeler house, even in season one. Sure. But, um, like, I'm I don't want to say that's definite because I did not verify it myself, but people same. have said that to me. That's interesting. So it's something but, to think about. But that vaguely brings me to something that I didn't write down that I also want to mention to you that I've mentioned to a few friends. I think the best twist in the show in this uh, season is not the reveal about the Henry Creel subject 001 Vecna twist. It's actually Nancy being targeted by Vecna. I think that is the best twist in the season because that is one I had no fucking expectation of. And then when they're like, like, like Nancy goes to jump in and then she falls down. You're like, wait, what the fuck? And then you see her in the pool with Barb. And I was like, Oh fuck! They yep. referenced that. That, that was that such. That a... would be the thing that would. Yeah, she would be feeling guilty about. Um, right. Can I? Like, I did not uh, expect that at all. That I was, such I was a not. Twist. It makes perfect sense, but I was not thinking about that. Um, I when I finished uh, this season or the first part of this season, right? Hmm. I tweeted something that got a very small amount of attention. Apparently, enough people agreed with me, so I just want to voice it again on here. Is anyone else noticing, and this isn't really for you because you wouldn't have this frame of reference, I guess, but Hmm. is anyone else noticing that this season of uh, Stranger Things is basically just Persona 4? I I, I couldn't. It's got a lot of the same rules uh, in terms of how its quote-unquote shadow world works. Hmm. Just putting it out there, floating it out there. Okay. Yeah, I can't can't discuss it, unfortunately. I never played Persona 4, but... Um, if you want to discuss that further, reach out to Rich on social media. Yeah, let me know. Yeah. So, what was your favorite and least favorite storyline in Season 4, Volume 1, Rich? Um, I'll start with least favorite, because I'll start with the downer. I do really think, like, the post-11 leaving, I think all the stuff with the California crew, despite having a few really good scenes, like, narrative-wise, just felt like it was turning its wheels and unless it pays off in a really big way which i'm hopeful it will 
Uh, I feel pretty down on a lot of that stuff. Like, Argyle's a cool character and stuff like that, but that crew just felt like they were going nowhere for a long time, and I feel like they ended in a place where they're still going nowhere. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I That's not my least favorite, but I feel like that is a big pay or uh, a big build up to a little payoff, uh, unfortunately, in volume one. And I'm hoping there's a much bigger payoff in volume two. It all felt like in a lot of ways, just getting Argyle pulled into the story and then um, Dustin's girlfriend, uh, Susie, Susie, thank you. So many names. Susie pulled into the story as well. It felt like we were just like, oh, let's get somehow figure out a way to get everybody in here. Yeah. And uh, one thing that also bothered me about it is as I was watching interviews and reading stuff that um, Finn Wolfhard, the guy who plays Mike, was talking about how that sequence or that storyline was super humorous and super enjoyable. And I felt like it really was not either of those things not that it's bad it just was like when they're swapping fair, back and forth between the storylines when they're swapping back bad. and forth it's the one that i was one of the ones that i was least looking forward to. yeah i think it's the weakest um and i get like you once we have the whole season in hand like the way that turns around i could end up feeling completely differently on it but mm. as it stands right now i feel like it is the weakest storyline going yeah yeah I, I would say that however my least favorite storyline and it's like a micro storyline it's a storyline within the storyline is the nancy and steve stuff like the will they won't they get back together shit. that's fair because i if i feel if they do i feel like that's a little bit reductive i like i think i don't think that's where it's going i think i know where it's going from there which we're going to talk about here in the upcoming questions but i was just like I mean other people are going to have their their morals and priorities but like I'm not a big fan of cheating and so I hate when Hollywood does this where they they kind of promote it in a way or they you know they're like oh even though it's cheating it's true love and I I, I hate that shit yeah I, like and it it granted, it's not I just I don't think it's going to get to a place where they actually do that <clears throat> for me it's just like these kids are still like they're like on the cusp of going to college and they're still young enough that like sometimes romance kind of does do that but at the same time it's like they've tried this and have found that like they just don't work together i think Mm. them going back and being like i was you the whole time is just a little reductive yeah absolutely and i'm I'm thinking that they're not going to actually take that that leap into making them pair back together. I I mean I ship Steve and the Demo Gorgon. I ship Steve and Dustin. Yeah, me too. I, it's inappropriate age wise. That's fucked up. You're going to jail. You're, You're right. Behind your back. Uh, him. maybe during that time it was legal. I'm not sure. In the 80s, no. Pedophilia was not legal in the 80s. Stop. Dustin's You're, 16, isn't he? You're thinking of ancient Greece. Oh, okay. oh yeah i forgot it's the midwest it's okay to fuck 16 year olds there it's true but no i just i really don't like it either from just a viewability standpoint of like all the melodrama and eddie's like oh man you know that like the way nancy dove in after you when you went what? into the pool lover's ask- lake that's that's a sign of true can love I, can i ask you why he's done knots uh i don't know I, I was just doing a random voice. Oh, gee, I, what is there, Steve? 
Yeah, I, I, I don't, I didn't enjoy that at all. Like it was melodrama, and I felt like they could have probably shaved ten minutes off of one episode by not doing the constant "Will they? Won't they?" with Nancy and Steve. Yeah, and to be fair, like the, I think the better joke in that whole like underwater dive scene is Eddie going last because I feel like it's the most relatable one where he's like, "Well, now if I don't jump in, I'm an asshole." Yep, <laughs> I, I loved that. I absolutely yeah. loved that. Um, so on the flip side, what was one of your favorite storylines? Um, I think Max's stuff I was really into this season. Uh, mostly because I think they did a pretty good job of handling her coping with Billy's death and also using that as the vehicle to, uh, sort of give you an idea of the sorts of people Vecna is targeting and how he's targeting them and how that's exactly what Persona 4 is about. Yeah, uh, outside of the Persona 4 stuff, um, not to repeat what you're saying, because I agree, Max's is probably one of the strongest. I really like, um, and I, I already said I really love Murray's and, uh, like, the whole Russia stuff, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed Yuri as a character, too. It is the most 80s too. action camp stuff, and it's, yeah, yeah that stuff is very but good. But I actually... Really enjoyed Lucas's character this season and his storyline a lot. I was surprised because he's always kind of been just like that character in the back and he's like the least developed of the four main. But he really got a lot of story development in the season where like he was drifting apart. He had his shining moment in the first episode. But then you quickly forget about that as he realizes like his role is not that but his role is helping his friends helping max whom he really cares about and well i really do advocate for him being like hey i like these other guys but i'm not getting involved in this angry mob bullshit because it's just like the right degree of sensible right exactly i i just loved his development and how he kind of came around to being a good friend and doing the right thing i yeah i didn't expect to like his storyline as much as i did but yeah. um no they, his they, I place think they take... in the show in the season i should say was excellent i wasn't too sure about what they were doing with lucas at the outset but i think it comes around in a good way and that's a good complete arc absolutely so rich two more questions uh the first one being what do you hope will happen in volume two um i i hope nancy doesn't get killed okay Okay. Um, I, I don't think she's going to get killed. I, I like to think not. Um, but I don't know. Uh, like, obviously, we there's a lot of, like, these two remaining, is it two remaining episodes? Yes. So it's going to be. going to um, be, like, two and a half hours each or something insane. It's going like to be, that. yes. Uh, it's about two, I think it's about two hours a piece, episode eight and nine. Uh, one is called Papa, and I can't mm-hmm. remember the name of the other one. I think episode nine is called Papa. Um, it come out July 1st. So by the time this is up, um, I think this will be up a day or two before those episodes drop. Yes. Which you're going to get this up pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty much like as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to be editing. Yeah. I got to go food shopping. So that'll be fun for me. Um, Hmm. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, we got to come full circle and have the Russia crew make their way back around the california crew's got to make their way back around like obviously all of these 
people are going to come back together at the end. Like, that's obvious to me. The circumstances of how that happens and how what Eleven needs to do to save Hawkins all sort of need to converge. And I'm interested in how they're going to pull that off. Mm. I, but I, yeah. I, really, I don't have a good guess. That's fair. Well, I mean, that's that's predicting. We're just saying what we hope for right now. Yeah. Um, I I hope that whatever's plaguing Will, um, he's able to finally, you know, say to Mike. And Mike receives that really well. And Mike kind of has this coming around of, dude, I have been a really shitty friend these past months. Because he has, yes. I, I, I really hope for that. That's one of the big things I hope for. Um, I hope that the Nancy and Steve thing doesn't happen. Um, I hope that Eddie is vindicated and I, I hope, hope <laughs> I hope that um, Lucas and Max work their shit out. And I hope that um, Dustin and Steve start a uh, detective agency after this season. I hope that uh, Nancy and Steve realize that they're not meant to be together, but they are meant to be business partners and they open an Applebee's franchise together. Why not? Applebee's, because when you're here, buy a You're margarita. an apple. Oh, that too. That's true. All right. So the last question I'm going to ask, and I think this one. Will yes, be a- I'll marry you. <laughs> for an apple what do you predict will happen in volume two wasn't that the question we just answered no i said what do you hope for oh um that's why i said when you were answering i was like we're not talking about predicting yet obviously uh all the groups are going to diverge at some point and they are going to stop converge converge yes diverging is what they've been doing and i'm also very tired sorry um (coughs) they're going to somehow defeat vecna our current big bad um but uh, there's no way everybody's making that out of this unscathed you know what i mean like that's the thing there there are too many characters at this point and my prediction one of the big predictions i have is that steve's gonna die I could see Steve dying. I could see Steve dying to save Dustin. Well, no, I think he's going to die die to save Nancy. That's no, what's Dustin. Happen. That's what I'm invested in. Well, that's well, no, that's what <laughs> that's you want the to relationship happen. I'm invested in. That's well, that's what I care about. But I think she's or he's going to die to save Nancy, and I think that's why they've been kind of building up this will they won't they thing because something's going to happen to Nancy, and Steve's going to have to go in and save her. Like, I think what's going to happen, because they're still stuck in the upside down, right? Yeah. I think I think that Steve's going to end up going to find Vecna's lair, and he's going to somehow rescue Nancy, and he's going to lose his life in the process. And um, this is outside of the show, um, but at this point, the actor who plays Steve, uh, he's cut his hair. He doesn't have the Steve hair anymore. And, and season watched- five is presumably filming soon exactly so i i i've i i'd watched some of those interviews before season four started airing on netflix and i was like i think something's gonna happen to steve because he cut his hair and that's i mean that is a minor thing that's pure speculation yeah 100 uh, percent pure speculation I, but I i really do think he's gonna die i think Ro- i think robin's gonna finally ask that girl out yeah i think that's gonna happen i think like she's gonna <laughs> that's, do that that's gonna be the post credits <laughs> i think she's gonna do that to honor steve in some ways I would see that's, that. Uh, that's what Steve would want more than anything is for her to go get laid. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's I, a bro I mean, like that. I think those two things track. I think, um, 
you know, Dustin is going to struggle with Steve's death. And I think we're going to see Dustin actually go through some hardship in season five. Um, sure. I, I, I think that, um, do you think, I think Eddie will get vindicated for sure in some ways, but it's going to feel hollow on the death I, I of wanted Steve. To a- I want to ask you this because this is something I genuinely think is going to happen. Do you hmm. think season five is going to be like a time skip? This, so this is what I think is going to happen in season five. It's going to largely almost exclusively take place in the upside down. You think so? Yeah. Where, like what, what else can happen? Because they have to defeat the mind flayer at this point. <sighs> well, here's the thing. And this, this is completely off-the-walls nonsense. I think they're going to defeat Vecna and totally think everything's, like, you know, safe and dormant and there's not much left for them to do. Hmm. I think season five is going to be, like, a five-year time skip. Okay, and why five years? I, I'm just guessing. I'm not, like, okay. it not necessarily has to be five. Like, I think it's going to be, like, at a minimum, like, two years. So it's going to be kind of like it. Yeah, exactly, you- exactly. Like a homecoming-type story. I mean that could be it. That that that's interesting. That, that would work and I think that would help with the actors and actresses who are aging beyond their roles at this point. And that's the Duffer good... brothers have spoken to that before about like how close together these first few seasons are supposed to take and that they are taking that into account how much the actors have aged going into season 5. And I, okay. what that tells me, I think, is that there is going to be a time skip. And it's funny you bring that up because that was exactly my thought that it would be like a, a, a back half of it, the the novel, or, mm. you know, like, you know, obviously the way the movie is split into two parts because it's yeah, the newer part movie, of that yeah. is the, you know, that's why five years is kind of what I stuck to because I think it's a feasible timeline you can make believable. And it could be like, oh, they're all in college and season five is like their home for the summer. And that's mm. when shit is popping up like you know like something is stirring again i guess yeah i guess that's 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 an interesting take yeah for sure i could see that happening um you heard it here first (laughs) i think uh, there there there's some other i think we're gonna lose murray too you think so yeah i do i think i think murray would be the one (sighs) murray or joyce because they play you can't lose hopper again now the impact is just gone if they like go through all this and then hopper doesn't make it true a lot more lighthearted one i think enzo is going to end up being able to fly a plane and they're going to hijack it and leave i think that'll happen i can see that um yeah i mean or maybe uh well i guess it would have to be enzo we've already confirmed that murray can't fly a plane right and hopper can't either i have one other big prediction there's one other big one that i wanted to bring up um because since season two, that one off-putting episode uh, where Eleven goes punk rock with the other um, misfits who have powers. Oh, the one that was supposed to be a spinoff? Yeah. What the fuck was that? That was uh, my Amazon Alexa. Oh. She's always listening. That's okay. She 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 had something to say about Stranger I, I, I asked her to turn the lights on, and then she was like, "Did you? Did I do what you wanted?" I'm like, "Yeah, you fucking did. You do it eight times a day. Shut up." Ask her what she thinks about the new season of Stranger Things. Echo, what do you think about the new season of Stranger Things? This might answer your question. The start of the next season of Stranger Things hasn't been announced yet. The show is currently on season four. Thank you. <laughs> well, that wasn't really much of an opinion. 
Did but that no, come through? <laughs> that so that that little spin-off thing that happened, I think what's going to happen is that those characters are somehow going to be involved in the final fight that happens with I the mind. I sure flight. hope not. They suck. I didn't mind like uh the the lead with 11. I really liked her character a lot. Um but I think that they're going to somehow appear in this volume two in some way. And they're going to be not necessarily integral, but they're going to play a part in the final season. So I think they got to reintroduce well, them in this. Volume we know it's two. not going to be the kids that are with 11 because they're dead. Wah, wah, wah. That's sad. That was a pretty like it was. Br- the sequence was brutal enough, but not too brutal to be like, whoa, they're showing killed- children being killed. They like. They did it enough to where they showed, like, the oldest, um, which I think his name is uh, 002, Subject 002, who was bullying Eleven inside of the Hawkins lab. Um, They showed him being tortured and killed. He looked like he was old enough to where, you know, they could show that on screen. He's almost aging out of the program. He's going to be turned into a remote hitman. He's going to be turned into another orderly. That was actually Agent 47. (laughs) And that man grew up to be... Charlize Theron. Aaron Burr. <laughs> yeah, but like, do you have any other major predictions for this upcoming season? Uh, no, I think I laid out my big, my biggins. Um, mm. but I'll be excited to, uh, to, to, we definitely will have to get together and talk about the, the last two chapters afterwards. Y- yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we yeah. owe it, we owe it to these people now. We owe it to the fans! No, but I'm really, I'm just really excited for Volume Two to come out. It's coming out in a few days, um, this Friday. Couldn't be more excited. I got the long weekend this weekend too. So hell yeah, hell yeah. You best be watching it, buddy. I'll watch. Well, it. Th- thank you, Rich, for making time. I know it was really short notice, but thank you for making time to um, sit down and discuss this episode or this uh, season with me and do this episode with me. Happy to. I love doing these always fun um just a quick uh plug if you like this episode and you want more content from us head over to swordchomp.com where we have other podcasts Uh, we mainly discuss video games on those so you can check those out there we have article sections where we uh, have think pieces about video games and reviews Um, we have a merch store at store.swordchomp.com and we have a patreon that helps us do content like this. Uh, and if you want to, if you want to get into the Stranger Things mood, I do a podcast where sometimes I talk about video games that are from the eighties. There you go. There you go. Uh, Patreon.com slash swordchomp. Uh, you can check that out there. Help us fund us doing things like this. But um, store.swordchomp.com. At swordchomp.com. 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 I said that last one weird. We're going to get out of here. Uh, thank American you for checking hero. out. American the- Hero. Ah, I need, to, I need to play slash watch that. Um, I forgot about that. <laughs> you must remember that because you were going back and listening. Through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, last night. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, checking out this episode. Hopefully you enjoy volume two. Um, if you want to discuss it, you want someone to discuss it with, uh, find us on the social media at Instagram or Twitter um sword chomp look us up and we will discuss volume two with you uh thank you so much for checking out the show and uh enjoy volume two take care 
American hero.